0: Welcome to our milk and meat live stream here on Kingdom in Context. I'm your host Sean, and I want to thank everyone for being here and joining me tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about the topic of how do I test a word from the Lord? It's a it's a topic that we seem to have grown up with not grown up with, but we seem to have um, how do I say this? It's a topic we've we've all heard mentioned in modern church, and also in you know other other subset of different congregations. Whether it's you know evangelical charismatic pentecostal assembly of god um i mean we 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 hear it referenced by those non-charismatic style churches in other teachings and in tour communities we hear it used as well um but the question is how do we discern how do we know what is actually a word from god and what's not uh real quick to everyone in that live chat i just want to say thank you um appreciate everyone that's already here tonight and give me some feedback real quick how is my volume and how is my um my camera because it feels like there's something off so let me know give me some feedback is it uh is the camera quality clear it could just be on my end it looks like there's something wrong with the camera so just let me know in the in the live chat all right. People are saying it sounds good. and looks good. Okay. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Um, Jason Kinney is back tonight. AC, Reyna, Jubion Kenobi, uh, Shannon Poclo, Chase, Christopher Gomez, Donna Porter, Arc Builder, CCMC, West Plays Music, Beetlejuice, Kevin J. Stull. Um, my wife is in the chat. Welcome. Thank you for watching from the other room. Thomas Morrow. Miss Marsh is here. Hannibal's back. Tyler Porter. Cody Bocephus is here. Miriam New, Bob Cleveland, Bill Craddock. Welcome, everyone. Miss LaRay is back. Taking back Eden Fe is back. Tracy Jones, Christine Waltz, Nabi Sky, Chico 1985, Particle Sun is back, and so many more. We appreciate everyone being here. Um, so, guys, you know we've we, short of me playing the uh, you know the the House Trap remix beats of COVID 19. Short of me doing something like that and just putting up a whole bunch of preachers that um, have made declarations that (laughs) shouldn't have been made, right? Because they get either emotional or excited. Um, Short of me, like just going through a litany of people that have been on public record through television, proclaiming something that was, they thought was a word from the Lord and that they had the authority to proclaim it and demand it. And yet ultimately nothing ever came to pass. It's not truly, it didn't happen. And um, no one, how did anyone ever respond to that? Um, yeah, I think my, I think the lighting, something's wrong with the lighting. It's, it's acting weird. So, um, some people are telling me that I look extra white, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I've got extra light skin, so I don't exactly tan very well. It's the mixed part of me. It's the European mix in me. But, um, so essentially we have a lot of, uh, We have many times where, you know, a a preacher will make a declaration of some sort, a minister, an evangelist, um, a teacher, they'll, they'll speak something out and then it doesn't happen or it's so vague. No one can really even remember like what happened or what he said and how it's to be applied. And so therefore it becomes super malleable that that person can then just take that. And never have to like be held accountable to what is what has been said because it's just so malleable. You know what I'm saying? All right, let me see if I can get that fixed. Hmm, it's interesting. So, um, yeah, guys, I, I'm not sure what's going on with the camera. Give me one second and let me um, let me see if I can uh, jump out of the studio and come back in see if we can't fix the camera issue. Okay. Well, we're going to have to just, uh, let it be what it is. I appreciate the super sticker, berry and also, uh, taking back garden F E. Appreciate that. Um, thank you so much. Um, but guys, let's jump right into it. Okay. We're just going to have to push through. I'm not sure what's going on with, with the equipment, but it definitely is looking strange. Just like, a or at least it looks strange on my end, but it's unfortunate. All right. Um, let's look at this. Let's jump right into it. We got some fun scriptures to cover. We're going to, it's not the black, everyone keeps thinking it's a black background. It's not guys. I use the black background all the time. Um, it's the camera itself. Something's going on. And I tried other backgrounds when I stepped away. So it's, it's not the bad black background. Um, but guys, let's look at this real quick. And so the biggest question we always, you know, we have is how do we test it? Someone claims I got a word from the Lord. How are we going to test it? You, you got to, discern at some point whether it's legit or not. And if it's not legit, then you got a decision to make. Okay. Because that guy has spoken presumptuously, as Deuteronomy 18 tells us. And that's we should not listen to whatever they're claiming. And this um this also affects their credibility. So it just um that's this is something we have to address in um in all of churchianity all of church, all anyone that's a believer that's trying to follow the words of the Lord, both Old and New Testament, This, as I'm going to show you tonight, this topic, it runs through Old and New Testament. So it's a concept that you have to, you have to know how to like navigate it um, so that you can be edified by it. All right, guys. So let's look at it. So what happens, we're going to look at two different facets of it tonight. We're going to look at prophets who are visited by the Father and were given a word from the Lord. And we're going, to work, we're going to also look at the idea of prophesying by believers that's spoken of in the Old and New Testament. So when Abraham in Genesis 18, he was approached by the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre in the heat of the day. While he was sitting at the entrance of his tent, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So that's just in that one moment here that he saw. This is, I'm just setting up this idea of, we're gonna see consistency over and over and over. The word of the Lord is said to have arrived and spoke with Abraham. And we're gonna we're gonna go through um, various prophets throughout the old testament that this happened to, and even the new testament to give us a better grip on what does it mean when the father sends a word so that we can, you know. Hang on, so I gotta block someone from the chat, they're dropping spam links. All right. So guys, if y'all see something with, um, if y'all see this link in the chat to the moderators, please remove anything that looks similar to this or this. These are spammed on multiple channels across YouTube. So please remove those and the person doing it. So um, so this idea of um, Abraham has, there's, there's different ways the father explains to us. We're going to go over Numbers chapter 12 as well. There's a different way the father explains to us how he communicates to mankind. So Genesis 20, three through five says one night. However, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him you are as good as dead because of the woman you've taken. For she is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. So he replied, Lord, why would you just dest- or would you destroy a nation even though it's innocent? Didn't Abraham tell me she's my sister? And she herself said he's my brother. I've done this in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. So here's another example of the father coming to someone. This time, this is uh, Abimelech. He's coming to someone and saying, "Hey, in a dream, right?" So we're gonna we're gonna look at a physical appearance of a person, like in Genesis 18, the three guys that walk up to Abraham. We look at the idea of a vision or a dream. Here's an example of someone with a dream where Yahweh is communicating to him in a dream. Goes on in six through seven to say, "Then God said." back to Abimelech in the dream. Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. And so I've kept you from sinning against me. This is why I did not let you touch her. Now return to the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, be aware that you will surely die, you and all who belong to you. Okay. So this is, he's continuing to have a conversation, a full-on vivid conversation, and it's referred to as a dream. Now, I'm not here to delineate the case between a specific dream or vision because many times the visions of heaven and of angels and of messages are done while a person is sleeping in a dream. So let's I don't want to get into the the semantics of of how we're going to parcel out if it's a dream or a vision. Well, the outcome of the message being spoken, the life being changed, the course being corrected will let you know, was that dream a vision from God or was it? You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, what is being communicated in that dream slash vision can't has to be tested as well. All right. And so we're going to go over the verses where the father teaches us how to test that. So we look at Jubilees chapter 12. Verse 22 it says, and he made an end of speaking and praying. This is Abraham made an end of speaking and praying. And behold, the word of the Lord was sent to him through me saying, get up from your country, from your kindred, from the house of your father into a land, which I will show you. I shall make you a great numerous nation. Guys, this is a moment where it directly tells you the word of the Lord was sent to Abraham through me. This is an angel narrating the book of Jubilees to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he's explaining that when Abraham received this word of the Lord, at this point in his life, I was the one that went and spoke this word of the Lord to him. This is the job of the angels, their messengers. This is called agency. It's one of the things about our context tree here at Kingdom and Context. It's all throughout the Bible. It is the reason for which he created his ministering angelic class, to be agents of his word, to receive messages from his mouth, carry them down to the earth and give them to mankind. And the father can trust those servants as faithful to do that. This is why it was such a big deal and is notated in the scriptures when the watchers rebelled against that agency and did not do what they were told when they came to the earth. Instead, they did their own pleasure. This was a big deal. Okay, so this is why agency is replete throughout the scriptures. Anytime we see this concept of the word the Lord came to someone, it's brought to a, to him by a physical messenger. This is a big deal, and specifically with Abraham because he was also a prophet. Because in in um, that's what we actually went over in this verse right here, verse seven. Says that uh, now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. This is God speaking to Abimelech in that dream. He's saying, return the man's wife. He's a prophet. God is calling Abraham a prophet. How many times in Genesis and Jubilees do we see angels showing up to Abraham with a message, physically showing up to him, appearing to him? Just like it says at the at the beginning of Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham. It's not Yahweh himself, and it's not a pre-incarnate Yeshua. That wasn't the appointed time for Yeshua to show up. It was his ministry and angels who he's made the whole purpose for which he made them to send them to mankind. Every single time you see the word of the Lord appeared to Abraham. It's an angel with a message from the father. This is a common thread of theme all throughout scripture. And specifically, it's verbalized by the angel to Moses explaining to him, Hey, you remember, you remember when Abraham, you know, when, remember the story of Abraham when he was doing this and that, and then when he finished praying and, the Lord appeared to him and said, get up from your country and from your kindred. Yeah, I was the one who said that message. So therefore, you have um, direct confirmation of how these messages are communicated. But let's look at the father through Moses, the prophet explains to the people of Israel um, how he breaks down the messages of communication. We have here in Numbers chapter 12. And this is this moment here. This picture you're looking at is is this awesome moment. Um, of the angel of the presence that hovered above the tent of meeting in the wilderness. And he descended to the to speak with Moses, Miriam, and, and uh, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron. Because he had to, Moses, Aaron and Miriam were kind of like murmuring against Moses himself. And so this guy calls a meeting with the three of them because he's going to chastise Aaron and Miriam. And Numbers chapter 12, 4 through 6, he says, And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, you three, come out to the tent of meeting. It's like going to the principal's office. That's not That's not what you want to hear. So the three went out and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them had stepped forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will reveal myself to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. So you see that if there is a prophet among you. This angel of the presence and the authority of Yahweh is there to communicate to them and to guide them, to protect them. And he's saying, if there is a prophet among you, I will reveal myself to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. You see that? So this is, he's hes explaining how he plans to communicate with mankind. And it's consistent with what we saw with Abraham and Abimelech, right? Numbers chapter 12, 7 through 9. But this is not so with my servant Moses. He's not speaking to Moses in a dream. He's saying, he's explaining to them, here's how I normally operate. I normally operate where I'll speak to you in a vision or a dream. But it's not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord, right? Literally, the thing that just descended and the speaking to Aaron and Miriam. They're seeing the form of the Lord too, by the way, but it's not, in the, it's not in the pleasurable, you know, relaxed environment as Moses who went out to the tent of meeting and got instruction from the angel, the presence that was with him. He says, "Why then were you afraid to speak against my servant Moses?" So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. So th- this is a from you know from the angel who is the representative of Yahweh over the encampment of Israelites that come out of the e- out of Egypt in the Exodus. He's directly telling them, "Here's how we communicate to mankind through dreams and visions." And to you know, we saw this with Joseph, right? This is why Joseph interpreted the vision because he saw something that was very clear, very clear story of symbolism that was broken down that, that what, what was Pharaoh's call when he asked, is there anyone with wisdom that can interpret this dream for me? Well, that was Pharaoh's call, right? And then Joseph had the wisdom, you know, as the, the cupbearer. Uh remember Joseph had the wisdom to interpret dreams and knew what they meant. So this is where, if you're going to have, if you're going to come up with a, with a, I was, I saw something that the Lord told me and it means this, this, and this, and it, and you don't have a interpretation for it where you, you can have some issues for one, right? Because then how is the father speaking clearly to you? The whole point of the idea of someone that um, Joseph in the place that he was having the wisdom of God to know what the, the things that were being communicated to a man who didn't follow God in a dream, that was a dream of warning, right? The father doesn't speak to us in a way that that is not... Um, uh, that is that is incomprehensible to understand. We're going to go over that in more in depth as we get into 1 Corinthians. So this is why Joseph was there to interpret the dream. Just like in all of Israel, you'd have had men of wisdom of the eldership or the priesthood, whom if there was some sort of concerning vision of the Lord and they didn't quite understand it, they would go to the prophet, the priest, or the elder, or somebody who, was, who had the wisdom to understand what was being communicated. And they also would have angelic visitations to reinforce that message and clearly explain what is being said. This is, this is why we're, we're building, we're leading to some different ideas. So let's look at, let's look here real quick as we see um, this. Is, okay, so you guys remember Samuel, the prophet Samuel in the days of David and uh, Saul. So in 1 Chronicles 17, 1 through 4, it says, After David had settled into his palace, he said to Nathan, or excuse me, this is Nathan, not Samuel. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in the house of Cedar while the ark of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan replied to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan and said, go and tell my servant David that this is what the Lord says. You are not to the one to build me a house in which to dwell. For I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt until this day. But I've moved from tent to tent and dwelling to dwelling in all my journeys with the Israelites. I have never, I've, have, have I ever asked any of the leaders I appointed to shepherd my people? Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Now, now then you are to tell my servant David that this is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture from the following from following the flock to be the ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make for you a name like the greatest in the land, and I will provide a palace, excuse me, I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so they may be dwell in a place for their own and be disturbed no more. No longer will the sons of wickedness oppress them as they did in the beginning and have done since the day I appointed judges over my people Israel. I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. And when your days are fulfilled and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, one of of your own sons. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. I will never remove my loving devotion from him as I removed it from your predecessor. But I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. So Nathan relayed to David all the words of this entire vision. So to see this. So just a quick summary of the setting. David goes to Nathan the prophet. He's like, you know what? We should build him a temple. We should build Yahweh a temple. You know, it sounds great. Why doesn't he have a temple? Why we? Why would we have this you know, traveling tabernacle at Bethel? Let's let's go build him a temple. And, and Nathan's like... do do what's in your heart. Sounds good. But then the father had to come in and correct Nathan. So through a vision is communicated to Nathan. Hey, that's, by the way, that's not what we want to do. He didn't call Nathan a false prophet. Nathan got corrected. You see what I mean? And Nathan, as it says, Nathan relayed to David all the words of this entire vision. So this is another layer of agency that was entrusted to the prophets. I don't have time to go into it tonight, but there's another story in the scriptures about a prophet who was considered a prophet of Israel, but he disobeyed the Lord and did not give the message he was supposed to give. And the Lord killed him for it. Because this was an extremely important part of the Father's Torah that he needs unhindered communication lines. He needs to be able to know that I can communicate from his throne in the seventh layer of the firmament above down through to down to the ground level where we live in the earth encompassed by the firmament made on day two. He needs to know that he can get that message clearly and without static down to us. Okay. So as a result of this, Hey guys, uh, you, you can, if you're asking questions, we always take questions at the end. So you just be patient and um, be, be patient and just try to remember to ask your questions at the end. Um, So essentially, basically if the father can't trust his angels to get messages communicated clearly to mankind. That's step one of a problem. But then if he has faithful angels and they try to communicate it to the person who's been ordained as an ordained prophet to communicate that message to the people that need it of mankind, that's the second layer of problem, right? That he has to get through. Because ultimately, if an angel showed up, let's put it like this. Even when the angel of the presence was literally hovering in the sky above them that whole time, they still didn't obey him until that angel told Moses what to say. And then Moses was like, this is what we're going to do, guys. So there's something that the fathers built into mankind. They want to listen to one of their own. They want to listen to a man who leads and rules over them. This was one of the problems that had erupted within the Israelite community, where they were not satisfied just with having judges that told them and adjudicated the law righteously, or attempted to. Um, the series of judges, as well as the the warrior judges that rose up to defend them, they they weren't they weren't pacified with that. They asked for a king, and this is why Yahweh tells the prophet, Look, I you know I know you're sad that they're asking for a king, but remember they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, right? I was, I've been king over them, but they, you know, they're rejecting me. That's why they want a man king that they can look to. Right. This is why Yeshua is sent to become one of us. He's our priest and our high, our king and our high priest. Just as the priesthood was chosen amongst men so we can sympathize with their weaknesses and understand what they've gone through in like manner. The king also is chosen from amongst the men. So the people respect him because they know he's one of them. So even though an angel can show up and say to these people, Hey, um, you know, here's what you should do. Look at all this amazing power. I'm sitting here and everyone's terrified, but then they walk away and they're like, yeah, but he doesn't show up every day. You know, like, where is he? We, we can't, just he doesn't just show up and I call him. I can't go and, and, and make an appointment with his secretary and go see him. You see what I'm saying? Men are built to look for other men for leadership. It's just the way mankind was designed. Father knows this because he's designed it. This is why he has these levels of agency. And within those levels of agency, he has to have trusted lines of communication. Otherwise, you've got problems, miscommunication, confusion, static. Paul's going to address this as we're going to go later um, as we look at some of his writings. So this is the idea, even even when good intentions are there, like David says to Nathan, hey, man, we should build God a, a temple, man. He doesn't have his own house. And Nathan's like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, go and do what's in your heart. And then Nathan has to be corrected later with an actual vision to which he's trusted to relay this stuff responsibly back to David to alter David's course of action. David is not, uh, you know, being truly David is not being, you know, like punished in any way because he's just zealous for the Lord. But he just didn't understand exactly what the, the father's will was on this particular issue at this time. And he had, he had to be accurately communicated to them. So if the father trusted Nathan for that. You guys remember this moment here with um, Mount Elijah, or excuse me, Elijah on Mount Sinai, um, where he goes down there after 40 days, because this is after he ran from, um, this is in 1 Kings chapter 18, after he, or 19, I should say, after he uh, ran away from Jezebel, who's trying to kill him. And then the angel showed up and cooked him some food, and he ate that food and sustained him for 40 days as he journeyed down to Mount Sinai. And then he goes in this cave in Mount Sinai. And then there's, an, there's a strange conversation that shows up between an angel who shows up and is like, yeah, well, the Lord's going to pass by. So, you know, be, be mindful of that. But that but someone shows up and communicates to him to be prepared. First Kings 19, 3 through 5. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he was himself traveled on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no longer better than my father's excuse me, I am no better than my father's. And then he laid down under the the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. All right, so guys, physical angelic present manifestation. Angel touched him. Hey, wake up, get up and eat. Wake up. Like that's a physical touch, right? This isn't, this isn't a, oh, this father speaking to me, you know? Like, no, this is a angelic, showed up an angelic manifestation, actual angel appeared, okay? Touched him and said, wake up. Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He's by himself, guys. The angel made him breakfast. So he ate and drank and laid down again. A second time, the angel returned and touched him again, saying get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you, right? So this guy's acting super emo right now, okay? He's acting depressed and the angel has to show up to encourage him and literally make him eat. You guys ever been so sad and depressed that you just stop eating? I haven't I've witnessed this firsthand. I've seen someone that wanted to die. They were so, you know, out of it that they, they didn't take care of themselves for multiple days. And they, um, had they not been found, they would have just let themselves die. It's like um, suicide by, suicide by apathy, basically. So this is the same this is why Elijah says at the beginning that look I'm no better than my fathers I'm tired of this just let me die because I mean he's he's on the run they're trying to kill him anyway um, he's been going through a lot trying to you know encourage them to follow the ways of Yahweh but there's Ahab and Jezebel are in charge of the northern kingdom and you know they're worshiping the bells um at different places in, in the northern kingdom and it's just he's tired of it right um he tried to go remove, you know, he tried to warn the, the legislators of his day to remove the Planned Parenthoods of his communities, and they just won't do it, and they're trying to kill him instead. So he gets to a point of uh, kind of a depression, if you will, where he's just like, I just want to die. And then the, the angel is sent to him in a physical way to sustain him physically with food and water, and then also to, you know, encourage him, right? So it says in verse 6-8, six, six and he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread, baked over the coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. The second time, the angel of the Lord returned and touched him, saying, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and, he, and strengthened by that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That's Mount Sinai. Then Elijah entered a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, he replied. But the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. They're seeking my life as well. Then the Lord said, get out. And go stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord is about to pass by. So guys, this is an angel shows up. The word of the Lord came to him and started speaking. An angel shows up. Remember, we defined what is word of the Lord. An angel shows up, starts speaking to him. And saying, go stand outside for a minute because the Lord's about to pass by. So that means there's two characters involved that are going to come visit Elijah. And they're having a clear communication. A clear communication. Just, Just keep that in mind. Just remember that and keep that in mind because it's all going to make sense at the very end of this. Clear communication. This is what the Father does with his people and specifically his prophets verse 11 through 13, and a great and mighty wind tore into the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire and the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So guys, I've heard a multitude of sermons on this moment here in scripture. Of modern church sermons where people try to tell you when you're hearing from the Lord, it may not be cataclysmic sound. It may not be a booming voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And people mistake it for thunder. It may not be like that, right? It may be just that that inkling, just that, that thought, just that little spiritual download, right? I've heard all the sermons on this. Set through... Set through so many hours of this growing up. It's an actual voice. This is not an internal tug. This is not a leading. This is not, it's a voice. He act, these are real characters interacting with him. This is not some just, oh, am I feeling this? Am I hearing this? This is, this is what's being said. Maybe, I don't know. This is not, there's no ambiguity here. Elijah knows exactly what's happening. He was told what's going to happen. The the first angel shows up to him, probably the same one that cooked him breakfast twice. The first angel shows up to him in the cave and says, what are you doing in here? Go stand outside the cave. The Lord's about to pass by. And then a second character passes by and he hears an actual voice. This isn't him looking deep inside of himself to self-actualize and find the truth within himself. He's interacting and speaking with vocal cords, using his ears, right? I don't remember all the little component pieces of the ear. He's, he, this is real guys. This is, this is interacting with heavenly beings. He hears a, a voice, a real voice. I, I can't stress this enough. And why is he not baffled by this? Why is he not confused? Why is he not second guessing himself in the cave wondering, Oh, that's still small voices. Is that just me? Is that just my internal thoughts? Am I just, how do I know? No, because the angel clearly communicated to him what was going to happen. It's cl- It's clearly communicated. <laughs> To him what is going to happen And then when it happens he can be confident and assure that it's the lord speaking to him Does that make sense? All right So there's been lots of angelic visitation that happens inside of the temple of yahweh Do you guys remember in zephaniah? The word of the lord that came to zephaniah son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, The son of amara the son of hezekiah in the days of josiah son of amon king of judah so this is just another quick example of the word of the Lord is an angel that shows up to someone and gives them a full on message. The word of the Lord is an angel that shows up to someone. Do You guys remember Jonah? <laughs> this is hilarious to me because like, here's Jonah and everyone else is like happy and waving. And he's like, bro, I'm running. I'm running for my problems. Ain't nobody sending him off with cheers. Jonah chapter one one through three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, saying, "Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me." Guys, do you guys recognize something uh, similar here? What what did the angel say in First Kings nineteen to Elijah? Hey, tap tap tap, get up. He's waking him up. This so it's interesting that at, at one point the father tells you know the angel lord speaking on behalf of the father in, in Exodus numbers twelve, he tells. Um, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, hey, I speak to people through dreams and visions. But in this case with Moses, you see me here speaking to him face to face. How dare you question Moses? Just assuring to Miriam and Aaron, like, you guys already trust people that have dreams and visions that get validated. Why aren't you? I'm literally here speaking to Moses and you're questioning him. What the heck is wrong with you? Like, I've given you extra validation and you're still questioning. So let's not, you know, he's having to reprimand them. That's what... uh, Miriam was temporarily uh, plagued with um, leprosy, right? Or plague, actually, technically. So this is a unique moment. Just the angels show up, they speak, they say something, just like in 1 Kings 19, asleep. So this isn't a vision. He's woken up from his sleep. And there's a physical manifestation of an angel there to say, hey, get up and eat. I made some breakfast for you. In the same way, the very beginning of the book of Jonah, right? All these first introductory verses that people usually skip over when they open up books in the Bible and they just skip right to the famous misquoted verses, the ones taken out of context. Yeah. So this, <laughs> who knew that this whole thing would be, um would would really have a good, you know, have a strong case built on just the introductory verses of so many books in the Bible. This understanding that the word of the Lord, that's, that's your immediate, I qualifier, identifier, no, an angel showed up to this person and said something to them. It's just that simple. So John, Jonah, chapter one, verse three, the word Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, "Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because wickedness has come up before me." Jonah, however, got up to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So there's an angel. That's that's just like the angel, of presence. That's why they're called the angels of the presence. They represent the authority and the presence of the Lord and power, glory, and love and beauty. So, therefore, this thing wakes Jonah up with a message. Hey, I want you, I got an admission for you. Want to, and instead, he's like, nah, I'm going to just step away from you and I'm going to go the opposite direction. So, this is, <laughs> I don't know if he's just cranky when he wakes up in the morning or what, but, um, you know, clearly. So, guys, I just want to uh, actively reach out to the mods in the live chat. Please go ahead and um, go ahead and block all the spamming that you see and uh, go and just block those as, as, diligently and as fast as you can. I really appreciate it, guys. And anyone that's listening, do not, do not investigate, do not copy paste, do not click on any links, just ignore it. All right, guys. Um So, and just, and moderators just block them. They're, they're bot accounts. Don't just block them all. Don't worry about putting them in timeout. Just block them. Okay. So, um, so he's running from the presence of the Lord. Two chapters later, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is a physical manifestation of an angel. And he says to him, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message that I gave you. And what's so hilarious about this, guys? Jonah, This is after Jonah's resurrected in chapter 3. So the first time he's just, I don't know if he's sitting there, if he's asleep, but hes he's been told to get up. So that means he's, I'm guessing he's sitting somewhere or laying down. The second time, this is after he's resurrected, he's told the same thing. Get up. And it's like, can you imagine being resurrected? And that's the first words you hear is an angel being like, get up. Come on, dude, get up, get up. I got something for you to do. And it's like, he's like, I I tried to die and get away from this. And you still, you know, you're still like coming to me and asking me to do this and like tell me to get up. And it just reminds me of um, Elijah who tried to, he dropped his servant off at the nearest town, tried to go out in the wilderness and just said, look, I'm just going to go out here to die. Doesn't it kind of remind you of Hagar? Back in Genesis, when Abraham dismissed her upon the the request of of Sarah, Hagar just goes out in the wilderness and just is like, I'm just going to sit here until I die, right? Just being super emo. Jonah is like, all right, well, I'm going to run away from the presence of the Lord somewhere over here, just like Elijah thought he was doing. But the presence of the Lord brought him back. As in, after he's resurrected and the whale brought him back. I can, you know, it'd be hilarious if this was a movie. Right. And then the well spits him out and he's resurrected and then he just opens his eyes and coughs up some water. And he's, the angel's just looking at him again. he's like, Oh, so you thought you could leave, huh? <laughs> you thought, don't you remember you, you volunteered for this prophet gig. You signed up for this. You you raised your hand and said, you'd be faithful to the Lord to carry out his messages to the people. Right. It's time to do your job. Right. So like, I could just imagine this would be a hilarious, hilarious little skit Um going through, Going through all this and get finally get resurrected, and then um, and then you just still you're you're not any further away from what you tried to run away from. It's just hilarious to me. All right, guys. So um we have also like in Isaiah's day, right? Remember, Isaiah saw amazing visions of angels and the heavenly temple and the throne. Isaiah chapter 38, 4 through 6. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah that this is what the, the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city. So here's another wonderful example. The word of the Lord came to a prophet. That prophet accurately and faithfully communicated that same exact message verbatim. I'm guessing verbatim to the person it was intended for. The prophets were conduits. They were middlemen. They were intermediaries between these angels that showed up with a direct, clear message. Everything that we've read so far, guys, I want you guys to think about this for a minute. And I want you to be conscious of this as we go through these scriptures. Everything we've read so far, the communication between angels and the prophets of God, clear, clear. The people's places, dates, events, locations, everything's named out, specific, clear, understandable. There's there's no, and if there is a moment, like in the book of Revelation, where the angel takes the time to say to John, In chapter 17, now I will show you what this means. Now I will take the time to go through these symbols and break them down for you and give meaning to them so you understand them and can go and explain this to people. When you reveal this wonderful letter of revelation that you're writing and you're sending to these seven churches, so they may write a letter back and say, Oh, hey, hey, uh, what what does it mean about the beast that was and is and is yet to be, or was and is not and is yet will be again? Um, Oh, well that's what chapter 17 was for. The angel took the time to explain to John this is what this means. This is what this is what this means and what that means and this is to help you understand the fullness of what you're seeing and what I'm showing you, what I've been sent to show you. So this is why Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 is so important. God the Father communicated a message to Jesus the Son who communicated who sent an angel to John to understand this message and be able to communicate it to the seven churches that needed to hear it clearness, clearness. So John would have understood the vision and everything involved in it and been able to explain it to the people, right? This is kind of the, the point of having, you know, a coherent message. Otherwise you get, you know, if, if John would have showed up and said, all right, so there's a dragon, um, there's some beasts, but then I saw other beasts. Oh, the other beasts had four faces. Um, so blood, there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood. There's some fire and blood falling, but there's blood on the ground and in the sky. And there's horses, there's white horses and there's horses covered in blood. There's fire, there's fire that falls, but then there's there's fire from the Lord. Um, and there's two different fires. Just just understand that. Well, I don't know what it means or when they, when they happen, but there's two different fires. There's lots of blood. There's different color horses. Um, there's good guys, there's bad guys. There's dragons and beasts. Um, there's a horse somewhere in there. And, uh, yeah, I, this is what the Lord told me. So have fun with that. No guys, this is no, (laughs) all of these messages are absolutely communicated with coherency to the people they were intended to. This is the point of the faithfulness of someone that the father trusted to give this message to. That's the whole point. We're so far removed from that culture, from the, all the understanding with multiple translation issues we have to weed through. That's why it takes us diligent study to go back and learn the meanings of these terms that are given throughout the scripture so we can understand books like Revelation. So once we understand the front of the book, we, oh, yeah, that's no wonder this, this particular prophecy was collected and put at the end of the book because you have to understand the front of the book just you know like you would any book you read any collection of scrolls or manuscripts you'd want to understand the context of what's being talked about which is expounded upon by all the prophets that come before the book of revelation so that makes perfect sense well that would have categorized that one at the back but the whole point is that every single thing that's being spoken the whole point of it was to be edifying to the people so Let's keep going. I'll, I'll expound with multiple examples as we keep going. I'm, I um, I need to keep moving. So you guys remember Ezekiel, right? Lots of visions of angels in heaven. Ezekiel chapter 1, 2 through 3. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Joachin. The word of the Lord came directly to Ezekiel the priest. So the, the son of Buzi, the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kebar, and there the Lord's hand was upon him. The Lord came directly to Ezekiel the priest. This wasn't a, oh, just um, go stand by the river, bar and then we, you may, or, or you know, I'll, Ezekiel had an inkling to go out and wave a flag in his driveway so he could hear from the Lord. Maybe, but it didn't happen. So he tried it for seven days, but it still didn't happen. So then he thought maybe two months from now, I'll try it again. No, an angel shows up, guys, directly. I got a message. I'm going to go straight to the person I need to talk to, we're, and we're not going to play around with him. I'm sorry, guys. Someone was saying we can't see this. So this is Ezekiel chapter 1, 2 through 3, right? Ezekiel just started off the whole book. Lots of angelic visitation with Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel. All right, so this is him getting a direct word from the Lord. So we also have John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, in the temple. Luke chapter 1, 10 through 12. And at the hour of the incense offering, the whole congregation was praying outside. Just then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zachariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Again, he saw a person standing near the altar of incense, and he startled and gripped with fear. That's amazing. Book of Revelation, John's vision. He sees all kinds of things. In the heaven above, he sees the 12 elders, right? they are 24 elders, I should say. Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 2. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must come to pass. So that's Yeshua received the message from the father to show the servants what must soon come to pass. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, there's four people involved, God, the father, Yeshua, the son, the angel that was sent. And then John who received the message. This is agency. And it says, this is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, cool. So everything in the book of Revelation that that um, John saw, like we talked about, the angel, if, if John didn't understand the meaning of it, the angel explains the meaning of it. Otherwise, John would have known the meaning of it and been able to accurately teach those who needed to hear the message any small details of what's going on. And this is what we're going to see Paul do in just a minute. Okay? All right. So what happens? How do we determine people that have a false message? The Father gives us some litmus tests, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 13, one through four. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or wonder to you, and if the sign or wonder he has spoken comes to you, but he says, let us follow other gods which you have not known and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Remember what uh, Numbers chapter 12, what the angel of the presence said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, that I communicate to mankind through dreams and visions. So therefore it's right that the father's like, all right, but here's, here's the caveat guys. Here's the, you know, here's the safeguard. If someone shows up who is a dreamer, a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he's telling you something and causing you to not worship me and worship other gods. Well, clearly he's a false prophet, right? But he goes on to expound. He says for the Lord, your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and all your soul. You are to follow the Lord, your God and fear him, keep his commandments keep his commandments and listen to his voice, serve him and hold fast to him. All right. So this is a pretty easy one, guys. This is like a, this is, this is one that's um, used all the time. Um, it's, it's very clear, right? It's there's a lot of, especially a lot of Torah communities. will use this one, right? Because it's so easy to discern a false prophet because they're leading you to worship false gods and not Yahweh. All right, please guys, please don't do the sacred name debate in the live chat. We're, we don't, we don't entertain that on kingdom and context. The almighty creator, there's only one of them and his son. We're not going to get into the semantics of language translated words and what they're called. There is a clear distinction between worshiping Yahweh and worshiping the gods of the nations. All right. So if there's a prophet that arises and he wants you to worship the gods of the nations, he's a false prophet. No matter what his quote unquote vision or dream was. that's That's the easiest determining litmus test for the father to say, all right, don't listen to him. Right. But it's not always that easy. That's the thing that we want to talk about tonight. Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. But if any prophet dares to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or to speak in the name of other gods, that prophet must be put to death. You may ask in your heart, how can we recognize a message that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and the message does not come to pass or come true, That is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So if someone says that they're hearing from the word of the Lord, and it's a message of warning or judgment, but you can't even understand what you're being warned or judged of, and furthermore, whatever consequence was spoken to you doesn't come to pass as part of that warning or judgment, the message is not from the Lord. What's, why would the father say, do not be afraid of him? Well, clearly, because they introduced their message as if from the Lord as a point of warning or judgment, which was very common for the prophets. This is why, you know, in Jeremiah 22 and other places, Yahweh tells us that this is why I sent my prophets to you, so that you could turn back from the, the wrong path and get on the right path, right? Get on the, the walk in righteousness and do the commandments. People that had transgressed the covenant, and left the covenant, were warned by the prophets people that just needed a better discipleship were instructed by the priests and the elders. Does that make any sense? So therefore if someone comes to you and says dire warning and whatever they're saying either incoherent or has no physical tangible understandable outcome and then if they do actually mention a tangible outcome and it doesn't come to pass that whole scenario is bunk. the whole scenario is off. Do not be afraid of him. That, that warning was not from the Lord. That was someone speaking presumptuously. And if it was 3,000 years ago, that person wouldn't be alive for very long. So you definitely don't want to be afraid of him. All right. Do you guys remember this beautiful moment, one of my favorite moments here in Numbers chapter 11? So in fact, this was um this... I actually use this this passage in a video I did a morning cup of context I did several years ago. It's called uh, Acts 2, Nothing New. And strangely, the, the rest of our conversation here for the next 30 or 40 minutes is going to be that same message, which is we're going to dive into the gifts of the Spirit and see the difference between a prophet of the Lord getting a word from the Lord versus people that start prophesying. Because there's a difference. There's a big difference. So we just laid out lots of scriptures to help you understand what it looks like and who is communicating the quote word from the Lord to a, a ordained established prophet. Not just a random person, someone that Yahweh chose and he ordained as the, mouth, the trusted mouthpiece for the angels to speak to. You see the difference there. Verses like this moment here in Numbers chapter 11, when the spirit starts dropping, people just start prophesying randomly but what are they prophesying? We're going to get into that. Numbers 11, 24 through 25. So Moses went out and relayed to the people the words of the Lord. He gathered 70 of the elders of the people and had them stand around the tents. That's the tent of meeting where the angel of the Lord would have uh, been hovering over. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed that spirit on the 70 elders. So guys, this is a physical angel comes down onto the ground, just like he does in Exodus 33 and speaks to Moses face-to-face. But this time, whatever he gave to Moses, he now walked and gave to the other 70 elders that were circled around this tent of meeting. And it says, as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they, they ceased. Some versions say they didn't do it again. Others say they just ceased. But the moment that this this angel touched them, they began to prophesy. All 70 of them. Think about this for a minute, guys. What are they saying? All 70 of them. What are they saying? Is it important? They're speaking with their mouth. They're uttering something. We're gonna define that as well here in a minute. So what are they saying at all 70 at one time? Well, what happens if number 34's message was really important? What 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 if it was a if it was, it was a warning about something that people need to know? Or what if it was a declaration of something that was going to happen in in, in a year from now that they all need to prepare for. It's not the same message. It's not the same concept as the word of the Lord coming to a prophet and saying names, dates, people's times, places, ages, epochs, transitionary moments, details, descriptions. It's a very different concept. So let's keep going and we'll, we'll expound upon this idea of what does it mean when people just randomly prophesy? Numbers 11, 20, 60, 27. Two men, however, had remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. These are probably my two favorite random supporting characters. Um, these are these are probably the, the best NPCs in the, in the whole Bible, right? Eldad and Medad. Um, just these random dudes. That were <laughs> What's so funny is they. it seems like they were supposed to have been with these seventy, so that would have made them 72, but they didn't show up. Um, but it says that the spirit went and got on them, too, and rested on them, too. So this is kind of interesting. I don't know why they didn't show up, but um, that was just just interesting to me because uh, I believe Yeshua started out with 72 disciples, and then they whittled themselves down to 12. So put these two guys with the other 70, and you got 72, and these guys are supposed to be there. They weren't, but the angel didn't care. He's like, yeah, you're getting it, too. So it it went out on them, and they started prophesying. prophesy. And they were among those listed, but they had not gone to the tent. They prophesied in the camp. Interesting. Numbers 28, 29 through th- to uh, 28, 29. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and me that are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, the attendant to Moses since youth, he spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous on my account? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would place his spirit on them. So this whole concept, Moses doesn't care that Eldad and Medad, he he realizes this could have only come from the angel that just showed up. That's kind of the point of this. And the spirit's dropping um, for a reason. And that these people all prophesying in a moment and then stopping like, this is a good thing. It's okay. So I think this is fascinating that we don't even get the message of these 70 elders plus the two Eldad and Medad in the camp. We don't get any of the message of what they were saying. We don't have a clue what they were saying their their prophesied message or whatever came out of their mouth was not recorded by any scribe Moses Aaron the angel the, the angel of the presence who initiated this moment did not tell them hey write down what they're saying it's important no one cared because it's not the same it's not the same as a prophet of the lord getting a word from the lord that was intended to have clear communicated warning or whatever right names dates places nations kings cities Time periods. A year from now, I'm going to come back and tell you are pregnant with child. Sarah laughs. You see, it's clearly communicated when the father wants something that's important that the people need to know and he trusts certain levels of agency to communicate that. This idea of the spirit dropping and you just start prophesying is something very different. So, you guys remember that character Sam, um, the prophet Samuel speaking to Saul the Benjaminite? Saul becomes King Samuel is led to um, the Benjaminite Kish and his sons and picks out Saul as the king of Israel first King of Israel first Samuel chapter 10 3 through 4 and then you will go on from there until you come to the Oak of Tabar So this is a quick moment we're jumping into the book of Samuel a little bit just as a quick uh, just to speed you up to the context here um this is this is Samuel that is being instructed by excuse me this is Saul being instructed by Samuel to go do something. Okay, But he is going to go and run into some prophets and something happens. So it says in 1 Samuel 10, 3-4, then you will go on from there until you come to the Oak of Tabar. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. This is kind of the important point of context here, guys. The God at Bethel is the angel of the presence that hovered over the tent of meeting that was currently residing at Bethel, which was on the hill. So three men going up to the angel of the presence hanging out at the tent of meeting at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread which you will accept from their hands. After that, you will come to Gibeah of God, the hill of God that's actually go up to the top where they have the tabernacle of the tent of meeting established and um, at Bethel. And you will go there. Well, and then in that region, that area, there's a Philistine outpost, right? It's just where the Philistines have an outpost. As you approach the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place, preceded by harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres, they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, Saul, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be transformed into a different person. Now, guys, this isn't, you know, he's not physically going to be, shift. you know, this isn't shape-shifting. He's just talking about the... The temperament, who he is, going from just someone that isn't randomly praising and prophesying to someone that's going to start doing this when he runs into this group of prophets. Samuel's telling him the whole thing, the whole gig, right? he's telling him, look, you're going to go up to the tabernacle meeting. On your way, you're going to see some prophets coming down, and uh, you're going to catch what they got. So be prepared. He's telling him ahead of time. So he goes on in 7 through 10 to say, And when these signs have come, do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. And you shall go before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. Why? Because that's where the tent of meeting was. Wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you are to do. And as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all the signs came to pass that day. When Saul and his servants arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and he prophesied along with them. Guys, what are all these prophets prophesying? What is Saul prophesying suddenly? Samuel told Saul, When you meet these guys, the Spirit of God's going to rush upon you and you're going to prophesy. Did he also tell him, and write everything down because it's super important? No. Guys, this is a gift of the Spirit just like the other gifts of the spirit we're going to go over here in 1st Corinthians 12 in a minute. This is an outpouring and a gift of the spirit. And it's not a coincidence that this is happening with possibly within a football field of the actual tent of meeting. As he's going up to Bethel where the tent of meeting was, the tabernacle. This is not a this is not a coincidence, guys. This is no coincidence that those prophets with the playing the instruments and coming down From the hill of God. We're also prophesying. It's not a coincidence in Numbers chapter 11. The angel drops and the gifts of the Spirit pour out onto the people nearby that were the elders. Acts 2 is not a new occurrence. The things that happen because Yeshua was put as our high priest in the heavenly tabernacle and can now give us the gifts of the Spirit as he determines. We see that happening in the Old Testament temple, even through the conduit of an angel. God allows the angel to drop the gifts of the Spirit to these people. We're going to go over the gifts of the Spirit and break down why prophecy is a specific gift of the Spirit versus other things here in just a minute. Stay with us, guys. So later in Saul's life, he wants to kill David, right? So he doesn't have the same heart that he had when God changed it and he transformed into a different man earlier in his life, before, right when he was becoming king. he He's now in the kingship and he's made a lot of bad mistakes. There's a whole story there. Go read the book of 1 Samuel. And he really struggles to maintain his character and his dignity. And then he becomes jealous of David. Um, so he's trying to kill and capture and kill David. He sends out men to try to to try to capture and kill David. But look what happens. 1 Samuel 19, 18 to 20. So David ran away and escaped. And he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. When Saul was told that David was at Naoth and Ramah, he sent messengers to capture him. But when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, <laughs> there's those prophets running around again. This would make for an absolutely hilarious Monty Python. But when Saul, but when they, the, the messengers that Saul sent saw this group of prophets prophesying with Samuel leading them, the Spirit of God came upon them, and Saul's messengers also began to prophesy. <laughs> so, uh, this, you know, this is a, a wonderful reminder that the prophet Samuel loved the Lord, right? Right. So not only it's not just like some random, very eccentric and zealous musicians that just like to run around and be like we're prophesying. No, guys, this Samuel's with them now. This was this was a gift of the spirit. How do you get? How do you get with the gifts of the spirit? You willingly walk in the covenant with Yahweh and do the commandments. With a pure heart, you circumcise your heart. This is why the first warning from Samuel to to Saul was like, "Hey, you're going to be transformed, become a different man." And this is why it says God moved on Saul's heart and changed Saul's heart. And then the spirit fell on him and began to prophesy. So did you guys know that that was a gift of the spirit that here, I'll go back to the verse real quick. You guys See this here in a verse in the middle of this paragraph about verse nine, God changed Saul's heart and all the signs came to pass that day. Guys, that's the gift of the spirit. It's called the gift of faith. Everything that we see described by um, the Apostle Saul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, everything he's describing in the New Testament, he's just explaining the Scriptures before him. He's explaining the Old Testament. The gifts of the Spirit are not some new thing. Jesus exemplified all of them throughout his ministry. And here, to Saul himself, to King Saul, the rebellious King Saul— he gets a gift of faith, and then he immediately gets a gift of prophesying. These are outpourings of the Spirit of God. That means there was some wonderful activity happening at the tabernacle nearby. He got in the proximity. It's beautiful, guys. So, unfortunately, though, later in his life, he tries to get, capture and kill David. He sends his messengers, and they run into these same types of prophets with Samuel, and they all lose their mind to the point where, They stop going to try to capture David on behalf of King Saul. They abandon that mission, and then because the Spirit fell on them, and they step into prophesying along with these prophets. This group of people, with Samuel leading them. Okay, it gets better, guys. This this makes me hilariously happy because this is like just oh my goodness! I was telling my wife, I was like, this is like God's God's super weapon. So listen, look what happens next it's first Samuel 19 21 through 22 when this was reported to saul he sent more messengers but they begin to prophesy as well so this is round two he's like the okay the other messengers uh they didn't accomplish what I wanted they just uh started prophesying God uh and then the, he sends the second messengers and the same thing happens so then it says so saul tried again and sent messengers a third time and even they begin to prophesy so if you know if we could cue the uh cue the meme at this point. This would be the Thanos meme where he opens up to get the big glove out and he's like, fine, I'll do this myself. So then Saul's like, look, I can't trust my servants to go do this for me, so I'm going to have to go down there and do this myself. Finally, it says, Saul himself left for Ramah and came to the large cistern at Seku where he asked, where's Samuel and David? And at Naoth and Ramah, he was told. So Saul went to Naoth and Ramah, but the Spirit of God came upon even Saul. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth and Ramah. Guys, okay, so this is like, all right, dude has malice of murder in his heart. He sends his servants to go find the guy he wants to murder. Servants get overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. Can't even do it. All they end up doing is prophesying. We're going to explain what that looks like in just a minute. What's literally coming out of their mouth. Saul. Saul. It's like I got to go do this myself. Fine, I'll go myself. Same thing happens to him, king of Israel, most powerful person in the land. Same thing happens, and boom, he's and suddenly, and he hadn't even got to the town yet. so this was like you know further out. He hadn't even got to the town yet. Says so Saul stripped off his robes also. After he kept after he started prophesying all the way to Ramah, he stripped off his robes and also prophesied before Samuel. So now he actually found Samuel at this town, but he's been prophesying the whole time. He he didn't go up to Samuel and say, "Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Why are you protecting and harboring David? He's a fugitive. I'm trying to kill him. You're you're complicit now." And so he didn't know. He just walked up to Samuel and prophesying already and then strips off his robes and it says he collapsed and lay naked all that day and night that is why it said is Saul also among the prophets the dude literally passes out like okay so with intent of malice of murder he travels from one city to the next to find the guy he wants to kill spirit of god drops on him along the way he can do nothing but prophesy to the point where he's physically exhausted and collapses and lays on the ground naked for a day and night when he finally arrived to the group of people he's trying to get to completely, completely like his, his, you know, whatever intent, whatever power he thought he had completely stripped from him. Not, not just the, the clothes, but like, you know, the, the malice, the intent, the anger, the hatred, the murderous heart, all of it just gone. And instead He's just prophesying. What's he saying, though? This is, to me, like the ultimate the ultimate weapon that the Father has. He's like, oh yeah, you want to hurt my people? How about I just make you praise me? It really reminds me of when Yeshua said, if I wanted to have these rocks cry out. There's something really, really powerful here, guys. So Paul tries to help us understand this and explain it to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 8. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are all different ways of working, but the same God works all things in all people. Now, to each one of the manifestations of the Spirit, that means something that you can visibly see and understand, that's a manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good. The common good. Not, Not personal interpretation, guys. Not personal interpretation. Given for the common good of the of the body of believers, the ecclesia. This is not a oh, if you only if you understand it, you you'll get it. This is not for you to interpret however you want. A gift of the spirit and what he's about to break down is for the common good of the people, so that we edification. We're going to go over this in great depth. To one, there is given the spirit through the spirit the, the message of wisdom, all right? To another, the message of the knowledge of knowledge by the same spirit. to stop real quick guys, because this has actually happened in my life. I actually had someone pray over me one time and this guy, and here's the crazy part. This guy was not perfect in his ability to hear from the Lord. He had to be tested because he, this, this particular guy told me something one time that did not come true. And he did not want to be questioned why he was wrong. So I had to, I had to part ways with him because it was very contentious. But there was another time was before he, declared something that was going to happen to me that did not happen. And um, before that, he was praying with me one night and he was like, yeah, I'm going to, I feel like God wants to give you something really special. Can I pray for you? He didn't explain what it was, but in the following weeks, I started experiencing what is only described in scripture as what's called the gift of knowledge or the words of knowledge, where you basically are, Uh, In a setting for the, remember, for the common good, right? Not just for personal, not for manipulation, not to puff myself up, not to build up my ministry, not to, you know, intimidate someone to believe me and make me the authority in the situation. But simply in a Bible study setting where we're praying for each other, it's as if I saw information about people that I shouldn't have seen. I tested that. I've talked about this in my testimony and some other interviews before. I tested that over 20 different times in that year of my life. To the, to the point where I was getting it more frequently and I would, I would see stuff about people when I was praying for them or interacting with them. And of course it's only, you know, like most 99% of the time it was, it was when my heart was like, you know, in a, in a spirit of prayer for them, right. Wanting good for them. And then this gift of the spirit, which is called the, the words of knowledge would pop into my head where I get information about that person that they need prayer for, or they need encouragement for that information that I didn't know naturally. Okay. So it's the gift of the spirit that I literally lived that in my life to the point where I asked the father, can you please turn this? If it was a radio knob, can you please turn this down? Because it's kind of interrupting my normal. I can't. It's making me weird and I can't function at my job. I can't like, it, I don't know how to handle this. I had no one in my life to disciple me through that process. So I just asked him, can you please turn it down? And he did. And then it happened a few more times in the following years for certain occasions, but it wasn't constantly happening. So, I've actually experienced what's biblically described as words of knowledge in my life and my walk with with Christ, and it was only for, only for the direct edification of someone that I was praying with or speaking to or went to speak to, so that they could have a course correction, they could repent, they could be encouraged, know that God sees their circumstance and was making a way. Like like I've said before, one of the one of the circumstances was I walked up to a woman that did not know me and she had a child around the age of two years old named Michael who had uh, leukemia. And I didn't know that. I just saw in my head, go, go tell her that her son, Michael is going to be okay. That's all I was supposed to say. And she completely, you know, uh, is startled and freaked out. And, you know, she's, she's wondering like, how do you know me? How do you know my son's name? Like, what is this? And I was I just, I'm just supposed to tell you that your son Michael is going to be okay. i and she breaks down, start crying. She's thanking me. She hugs me. And then I part and I've never seen her again. Didn't know her before and don't know her now. It's a gift of the Spirit. For the purpose of the common good, for the edification of that person. Not for personal gain. And, it, and it, it, there's very specific moments. It's for moments of ministry. So with that said, there's more too. There's more gifts of the Spirit that happen. We, like we said, we saw one go on to Paul, the gift of faith. That way he then is changed into a different man and he can actually have the spirit drop on him and he starts prophesying. There's another, the gift of healing. We see that in the scriptures as well, through the prophets and also through the disciples. Verse nine through 11 says, to another, there's the gift of the working of miracles. All right, awesome. We see that in in the scriptures as well and also the disciples and Yeshua. To another, there's prophecy. Okay, so wait a minute, what is that? We're gonna we're gonna explain it real quick. Here it comes. To another distinguishing between spirits. Okay, we've I've seen that before too. To another speaking in various tongues. All right. That's not babbling, that's speaking in languages that are recognized and known. This is why he's gonna talk in great depth. Paul is gonna explain the difference between someone that prophesies in the church versus someone that speaks in tongues, which is better, how to understand it, what's needed for the edification of the people. That's we're gonna break that down here in just a minute. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit who apportions them to each one as he determines. Guys, this comes through the authority and the power of our Messiah and High Priest, Yeshua of Nazareth, ministering in the heavenly tabernacle in heaven above. This is what Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, 32 and 33, that the outpourings of the Spirit that they were experiencing on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was a direct result of Yeshua being in his place as High Priest, pouring them out onto them as he chose. This is a function of a tabernacle and a priesthood that's doing things properly, according to Torah. And this is the beautiful benefit. No wonder the enemy wants you to not understand Torah. He doesn't want you having access to God's power like this. He doesn't want you walking in all the gifts of the Spirit and radically affecting people's lives. strongest concordance the word propheteo that's being used here in 1 Corinthians 12 is to foretell events to divine or to speak under inspiration and to exercise the prophetic office seems a little v- 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 uh, vague or generic but we're going to go into the more deeper breakdown of the word study one of the uses of this word is the idea of foretelling future events pertaining to especially to the kingdom of god that's wonderful right what, what do we say again? If you're going to prophesy something, if you're a prophet and you get a word from the Lord, 99.9% of the time it's a vision, a dream, or an actual angel that shows up. Okay, and it's about specifics, events, places, times, transitions of ages. You know, it's specific things that are happening. This is why we see specifically about the kingdom of God, all these prophets and great to tell talk about the day of the Lord, specific qualifiers. Of what's going to happen they're all consistent with the descriptions the outcome of what happens on the day is all consistent from the prophets from all the way from you know enoch all the way up to john the revelator right so everybody everybody consistently has the same details of the same message sometimes you get a little bit different camera angle a little bit different detail included because of you know this that or whatever but ultimately put them all together it's the same story the father was telling us over and over and over again through the prophets that's one way. Another way is to utter forth or to declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. Okay, so suddenly now you're falling into, it's like a mixture of a word of knowledge or a message of wisdom. But also you're, remember um, Yeshua t- speaking to Nathaniel in Luke chapter 2? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I saw you before, you before I knew your name. I saw you over there. And Nathaniel was like, oh my goodness, this is the Messiah, <laughs> right? Yeshua's exemplifying a uh, gift of prophecy there, right? With mixed in with the word of knowledge to break forth under sudden impulse in lofty discourse or in praise of the divine counsels. So to prop to suddenly just prophesy as a member of the ecclesia, if you don't have a specific message, and if you're not revealing to someone for the point of ministry something that that they needed to know that you like could only have known by God, then you are just breaking forth under a sudden impulse in a lofty discourse or a praise of the divine councils. So when you see the groups of prophets that are coming down from Bethel, singing and praising the Lord, and they're all prophesying, is there anyone standing by going, okay, wait, there's a whole group of them. Uh, they're all prophesying. Uh, what are they saying? Someone quick, write down. Uh, you, write, write down what he's saying. I'll write down what she's saying. Like Hurry. No, guys. They're shouting the praises of God. They're speaking what the prophets may have already spoken before and they're shouting the praises of God. It's just that simple. Lastly, to act as a prophet or discharge the prophetic office. These are the four different ways in the Greek and the New Testament that this particular word is being used in various passages. So therefore, we have to figure out what is the context telling us of how that word is being used as Paul is explaining it, right? So this is what he tries to, after he introduces the idea of of prophecy amongst the ecclesia, amongst the members of the body, whom are receiving the gift of the spirit of prophecy, he's going to start focusing and honing in on two of those gifts specifically, this this gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. He's going to break that down for us. Real quick, though, Yeshua says in Matthew 22, 43 through 44, Yeshua said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? For he says, and this is, he's quoting Psalm 110, 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So this, this, I, this prophecy about the Son of Man, Yeshua is telling the Pharisees, look, guys, when David was saying this, he was saying this in the Spirit. He was speaking as prophecy when he wrote this psalm about me. Because Yahweh, the Father, the Almighty, is going to say to Yeshua, the glorified Son, after the re- ascension to heaven and the resurrection, he's going to say to Yeshua when he gets up there, just like Yeshua tells us in, in Revelation chapter 2, 25 to 28, he overcame. he sits next to his father. He wants us to overcome so we can sit next to them. Yeshua says, the, Yahweh says to his son, Yeshua, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies on your feet. Because what happens when that happens? That's when Yeshua returns. When all of his enemies are gathered and put under your feet on the day of the battle of Armageddon. That's when Yeshua is sent out to return. So there's a, there's a point of this. And to sit at his right hand means that he's second in all of command and all of heaven which is the appropriate place for the high priest. So this is why Yeshua is telling the Pharisees, hey, in a prophecy directly about me, the psalmist, David, was speaking in the spirit. So when David is speaking, the very last words of David as recorded in 2 Samuel, it says that David, these are the last words, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man raised on high, The one anointed by the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel, guys, he was also a prophet. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. This is David speaking. He says, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, he who rules the people with the justice, who rules in the fear of God, is like the light of the morning at sunrise of a cloudless dawn. The glistening after the rain on the sprouting grass of the earth. It sounds beautiful and poetic. But what is he saying here, guys? This is all that's said in that moment. And then, and then the, you know, there's other things being said, but as far as specifically what did God speak through him, this is what's being said in that verse. Is this understandable? David, although he has other Psalms where he, you know, prophesies the future coming of the Messiah, prophesies the day of the Lord in various places, prophesies about the kingdom. But in this specific moment, at the very end, at the very end of his life, his very last words, He prophesies, can we understand it? What is he saying? The Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, he who rules the people with justice, who rules in the fear of God, is like the light of the morning at sunrise of a cloudless dawn. That means it's bright, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. The glistening after the rain on the sprouting grass of the earth. That means this is something you've seen, you can relate to, you understand it, and it's about righteous rulership. This is a message to the people. We want righteous rulership. This is coming from a ruler of Israel, one of their greatest kings, David. And explaining that righteous rulership is like this. This is not some vague, mysterious, personally interpreted. This is this is not something that can be twisted or maligned or this is consistent with so many different proverbs and psalms. Righteous rulership, the people love it. This is what they need. This is what God wants for the people to have. Righteous rulership. This is a clearly communicated message from a prophet. He's not declaring the day of the Lord. He's not declaring this coming of the Son of Man. He's not declaring the downfall of the northern house of Israel by the Assyrians. He's not doing any of that. He's just declaring the wisdom and the praise of Yahweh. So, Let's look at Paul, further breakdown in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1-4. Earnestly pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He he utters mysteries in the spirit, but he who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, encouragement, and comfort. I got to pause right there. Thank you so much, John French, for the super sticker. Guys, this here, here, right here, Paul's trying to explain to us. We already saw the gifts of the Spirit operate in the Old Testament already. Paul's trying to clearly explain to you look, you speak in a tongue, people understand you unless you have an interpreter because you're speaking a different language. So if you're in the church and you're speaking in a tongue, that's great, but I would rather you prophesy because when you prophesy, you speak to the ecclesia around you for the purpose of edification, encouragement, and comfort, which means they understand what you're saying. The whole, the definition of the word edification is an an encouragement or a a word spoken for moral instruction. Like specifically having to do with, you know, uh, your religious standing. So the one who speaks in a tongue, he goes on to explain the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that all of you could speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. What would be the purpose of all of them speaking in tongues, guys? Think about what we saw in Acts chapter 2. The men from all these different regions that came in for Pentecost to celebrate heard them in their own language. The message and the truth and the beauty of Yeshua was being revealed. That's a wonderful reason for everyone in the church to be able to speak in tongues. Multiple men from multiple languages and the 120 people that spilled out of the upper room that were now speaking in tongues were communicating to all the different peoples from the different regions who spoke different languages. Very practical reason that Paul would be like, man, I wish all you guys speak in tongues. Because then all these travelers that come through this region, we could easily evangelize them. But within the church, he says, he who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. He says, now, brothers, if, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Again, he's stressing the idea that it must edify you, it must benefit you. So the, a teaching to prophecy or knowledge or revelation, that means you're going to understand what's being communicated. Even in the case of lifeless instruments, such as the flute of the harp, how will anyone recognize the tune they're playing unless the notes are distinct? Meaning you can't be vague with this stuff. Guys, and I've grew up in churches. I promise you, I've been to so many church prayer meetings. I've been to, 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 to worship fests where they worship God for 24 hours straight and the musicians change and the people in the audience are just praising all the whole time. And I've been to church services and like they considered, you know, evangelistic revivals where, you know, people were praying up front and, you know, the spirit broke out and people fell out and laid down. Other people started prophesying. People started speaking in tongues and then across the someone else would claim they have an interpretation and they would give their interpretation across the other side of the room. And then, you know, people would dance and they would praise people being cast out with demons And then people would say I have a prophecy and they would stand up and they would say this message of just word salad put together. And very rarely was it that I remember literally probably could count on five, my fingers on one hand, I could count the times that I was in a service where I heard someone stand up to prophesy or be past the mic sitting in the pew to prophesy that what they said, I kind of made sense, you know, as far as like, all right, well, that seems like a specific message for this congregation about something that's going to happen in the future or about what they're feeling right now. And God's going to to encourage them, comfort them. I remember this one guy stood up. he was an older man. He was like, the Lord wants to tell you, I know the, I know the troubles that you're going through. I know that, you know, what you I need you to be faithful to me and thank you for being good to each other. Very simple. But then other people stand up and they're like, Oh, and the spirit I see and the clouds that flow and within those clouds, the rain that drops the dew and then the dew that you see is going to be upon you and upon him and upon her because with her is the power of the Lord and the power of the Lord that flows through the things and the and the chapstick and, the, and I look at the water and I see the sky and the ceiling and the carpet feels good on my feet. So I know that the Father's speaking through me and I'm just sitting there in the, in the pew just One second, guys. I got a cough. The message must be clear. <clears throat> Every example of this gift of spirit of people speaking of prophecy amongst the ecclesia, amongst believers in the Old Testament. And I'm specifically saying the Old Testament, because I'm going to show you a place in the New Testament where we, you know, <clears throat> where we actually get the actual words, right? So we, we looked at 2 Samuel, but as far but it doesn't introduce 2 Samuel as that of David's last words as being he prophesied. <clears throat> but we see in Numbers chapter 11 and 1 Samuel chapter 10 and First Samuel chapter 19, that the spirit, the gift of prophecy just fell on the people and they were just out of their mind and, and forgot whatever they were doing and just suddenly started prophesying. What? Paul is trying to tell you, if that's going to happen, it better be for the edification and the encouragement and the comfort of the Ecclesia. So no wonder Moses doesn't want to stop Eldad and Medad. If it's good, if it's truly from God, okay, it's fine. Let's let let him run. These other guys, these other 70 were doing it just a minute ago too. It's fine. But what are they doing? What are they saying? Who's listening to them? Clearly, people could hear them because they thought, all right, well, we got to report this back to Moses. They're saying some stuff. So if you're going to be heard with what your prophecy is, it should be for the edification, for the moral instruction, the teaching, revelation, benefit of some sort to the people. And as Paul tries to explain to you, it must be distinct it must be recognizable it must be something that you can understand that applies to you 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 do not just get to grab the mic and just throw word salad around that is not what the gift of prophecy is 1 Corinthians 14:8 through 11 again if the trumpet sounds a muffled call who will prepare for battle right why would you if the, if you can't understand the prophecy you're not going to be prepared for whatever you're trying to say to you like a muffled trumpet so it is with you he says unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue how will anyone know what you're saying you will just be speaking into the air assuredly there are many different languages in the world yet none of them was without meaning if then i do not know the meaning of someone's language i'm a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me it's the same with you since you are eager to have spiritual gifts strive to excel in gifts that build up the church Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret it. That's your caveat for speaking in tongues. You want to speak in tongues and know you're not just babbling? Okay. You need to also have the Father give you the interpretation, right? Or someone else that you're praying with, right? You need to have that as a normal process in the amongst the body of believers if someone starts speaking in tongues out loud. That's a normal, as far as, you know, church fellowship. He then goes on to say, "For If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what then shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you speak a blessing in spirit, how can someone know? How can someone who is uninstructed say amen to your thanksgiving, since he doesn't know what you're saying? Again, Paul is stressing the point here. Whether you're prophesying or speaking in tongues, you better be understood. Otherwise, it benefits nobody. He keeps stressing this over and over in this chapter. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the order, but the other one is not edified. I think I, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five coherent words to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Uh, that's pretty astounding, right? Because I've been in a lot of church services where there's babbling tongues and no one knows what's going on. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be mature. It is written in the law by strange tongues and foreign lips. I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. This is why I keep stressing so strongly the difference between tongues and prophecy, and that prophecy must be edifying to the the believers. You must understand what's being communicated. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who are uninstructed or some unbelievers come in, you see what he did there. Those who are uninstructed, he, he, he lumps them in with unbelievers. What's your, what's your instructions? The instructions of the Torah, the commandments of God. Those who know the law. That's going to come into play here at the very end. He's about to he's about to bring that home as far as what he's expounding. He says, but if they come in, that will not will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if an unbeliever or an uninstructed person comes in while everyone is prophesying he will be convicted and called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart will be made known, so he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is truly among you. If you hear a word from someone when they say, they they oh, God is speaking to me right now, and he says this, this, and this, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I have not a clue what he's saying. They have not fallen within the parameters of the gift of the Spirit as outlined from all of Scripture and expounded upon by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. They're just speaking words, which has become a really bad practice of many churches. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a psalm or a teaching or a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done to build up the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most should speak in turn, and someone must interpret. But if there's, anyone, if there's no interpreter, he should remain silent in the church and speak only to himself and God. I wish people followed that two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's seated, the first speaker should stop. So now he's just talking about orderly, you know, just sharing the mic, you know what I'm saying? Just be orderly about it for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The, what, what did he just say, guys? What did he just say? You can all prophesy in turn so that what everyone may be instructed and encouraged. This is because you're not just making up new stuff. You're declaring the praises, the goodness of God, you're declaring possibly the wisdom and the instruction of God like we saw from 2nd Samuel 23. We're going to see it again with my last verses. I'm going to show you in a minute. You're not just random babbling. You're not making up words on the spot or making up connecting ideas on the spot. You're to prophesy as a gift of the outflow of the spirit in the amongst the body of believers is for the edification, for the instruction, the moral well-being to amplify, to make better, to encourage, comfort, and strengthen. And also it's a form of instruction, which means you better know the law of God. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. If any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. So here we have him saying, look, if you think you're a prophet and you think you're spiritual, what does he say in Romans 7.14? The law is spiritual. So that's right that he then follows us up with, if you think you're a prophet, after, right after he talks about prophesying in the church and what it's for, and you think you're spiritual, well, you better acknowledge that what I'm explaining to you is the commandments of the Lord. I'm explaining to you Torah. This is why I said, if you if someone is just the father wants to be clear. And if someone's just going to randomly prophesy an outflow of the utterance of the gift of the spirit, just under compulsion, just like we saw in first Samuel with Saul and his messengers, just like we saw with Eldad and Medad in the 70 around the 10 of meeting under compulsion, they just start breaking out and doing what they're not making up their own story. They're not making up a new message. No one's there trying to write down what they're saying. They're speaking encouragement, comfort and instruction was called edification. They're just boldly declaring the words of God, guys. With fervor and joy. Almost uncontrollably. Like I said, it's kind of like a super weapon. You can just be like, oh, you want to come hate on my anointed one? How about I just make you praise me? Think about this. The enemy is like, what does the enemy do when he takes you over? He possesses you, you speak vileness, you lie, you you commit transgression of sin, you might be murderous. So like if someone's possessed, horrible stuff comes out of their mouth and their bodies do things they don't want to do. What happens when what happens when the father drops the gift of the spirit of prophesying on you? You speak the blessing of God for encouragement, edification, and comfort. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's not hard, guys. The ordained prophet, Yahweh sent his angels to that prophet with a clear, specific, detailed message that included the names of people, cities, or nations and detailed descriptors of events and ages. The gift of prophecy, which is different, Yeshua, our high priest, pours out the Spirit in the form of an overwhelming expression of words that teach, instruct, encourage, or comfort. We go back to John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, in the temple. Look what he does when he's overwhelmed by the Spirit and he prophesies. Look what he says. Then his father, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because... He has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spoke through his holy prophets, he's just repeating what prophets have said before him. Those of ages past, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Guys, this is not new information. This is not word babble. This is not word salad. He's not rambling. He goes on to say, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us deliverance from hostile hands, that we may serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness. Oh, that's Torah. So now he's just repeating what's already been instructed through the psalmists, through the prophets, through the Torah. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Oh, that's speaking about the Son of the Father, Yeshua. This has also been prophesied already. It's back in Enoch. (laughs) for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give to his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins that's Isaiah 53 guys because of the tender mercy of our God by which the dawn will visit us from on high that's Psalm 110 1 through 3 to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death that's uh, Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 4 to guide our feet into the path of peace (laughs) this is just everywhere Ezekiel 37 everywhere this is Obviously, he's the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6 6 through 9. This is everywhere, guys. Filled with the Spirit, and he begins to prophesy. What does he say? He says coherency. He repeats the the goodness and the prophecy of the Lord already given through the prophets, given by angels. With admonition to future events that are going to unfold, that's already been spoken. He declares the goodness of God in a variety of ways. That's understandable. It's intelligent. It's clear, the spirit fills Zacharias, father of John the Baptist, and he prophesies things that people can understand. This is what's so important about it. this. Is why Paul was so clear and tried to be clear, repeat himself over and over between chapters 12 to 14 about what is so like, are you you think you're cool because you can speak in another language, speaking tongues through the gift of the spirit? that's nothing i would rather you prophesy i'd rather you build the people up in proper edification instruction comfort and teaching i would rather you do that because that's good for the body it's all about discipleship the gifts of the spirit falls out onto whom Saul who had his heart changed then he prophesies changed from someone that would not have normally praised god to someone that would and then he speaks forth and declares the praises of god and the goodness of god and Possibly a prophecy you heard from 2 Samuel chapter 2. Who knows? The point is, he's not rambling. He's not making up things that he can subjectively interpret. He's speaking clearly, and anyone who would have heard him would be encouraged, comforted, edified in their moral instruction. But they're they're not writing it down and holding him to account because it's not technically a direct instruction from an angel to an ordained prophet of Yahweh. It's an encouragement to continue in your discipleship. It's really that simple, guys. Um, thank you all for being here tonight. I'm sorry that the camera's acting weird. I'm gonna have to investigate and see what's going on with that. Um, it's it's. I'm I'm really saddened by that, but. This is a run over um, 20 minutes over than what I promised my wife. So I need to step off. I apologize guys. We're going to have, have plenty of time this uh, future app broadcast for lots of questions, but um, I need to step out and she's got dinner waiting for me. So um, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, hopefully this was edifying to you, right? What is edification? Clear instruction, encourage you and comfort you in your discipleship. Hopefully that was good for you. And, um, we just are we're just so grateful for all you guys that support us as you do. Um, and, you know, a long time ago, I started to put people's names that are patrons in a scroll at the bottom of the screen. But then people email me and they're like, hey, you know, we, you know, we, we don't want our giving um, to, to like be broadcasted. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I get it. I, it makes sense. So that's why we don't really like you Know out of, out of respect for them, and we we're like, all right, well, we just big shout out to all of our patrons. Thank you so much, everyone that's uh supports us, that shares our videos, and that prays for us and sends us encouraging letters and mail. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Um, it really helps us a lot. So, we love you. We, we just hope that the Father blesses you. And, um, hope that you're if you're celebrating Shabbat today, we hope that you enjoy your day of rest. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.